ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. Hello everyone, you're listening to Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with Chad. How are you, Chad? Doing great. I uh, got some Christmas shopping to do this morning, but uh, other than that, doing fine. Yeah, I, I've got most of my Christmas uh, shopping done now, so uh, it's Clash of the Champions 2 for me. Um, before we start, though, I have a big announcement to make. A big announcement. Are you ready for this? <laughs> um, and th this announcement is that we uh, have now joined the um, uh, a conglomerate of uh, people who do wrestling podcasts and blogs and things known as the Wrestling Media Nation. Um, if you want to go there, you go to twfnews.com. Uh, a chap called uh, Dave got in touch with me. And now we're part of this uh, wrestling media nation, and they have something called Throwback Thursday, uh, and they've put our Starcade '85 uh, show up there uh, and put it together with uh, various other reviews of Starcade '85. So, if you you know if you enjoy this show um, and you want other podcasts to listen to, you can go there, and uh, there's a whole host of different things that you can discover. So, thanks a lot for uh, Dave for that, and also uh, you, know, uh, you know we have various guests on the show. So going forward, there may be uh, that may be a good source of guests for us. Um, and the other thing that I've done <laughs> is uh, I turned the comments on <laughs> on the uh, on the on the actual website. Um, now we we've never really gone in big for comments on this show. Um, and one of my reasons for turning the comments off in the first place is that you get a lot of um, uh, kind of junk mail through, like you know, automated bots trying to sell things, um, which is a little bit annoying. But I thought, you know, let's see what happens. And, well, Dave, he would, he got in touch with me through that comment. And we, we also had another uh, comment. I only did it a couple of days ago. Um, so uh, it hasn't been, you know, it's only been open for a couple of days. But in that time, we got a couple of comments, uh, which I wasn't expecting. So if you do listen to this show, um, let us know. That you that you listen to it just by heading to uh, heading to our web page. Just um, do, do we give out web pages anymore, or do we just tell people to Google search? It's uh, it's jerryvonkramer.ipage.com forward slash podcast forward slash where the big boys play. Um, you can probably find it through iTunes or something, um, and you can leave a comment there. Let us know that you're uh, listening. Just you know, uh, because it's, it's, it's good to know that you're out there. Um, it, all of the episodes are just on one page, because I'll be honest, I, uh, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. I don't like, um, I don't like blogs. Uh, I don't really like Twitter. Um, I've got no dreams of that, us being on Facebook or anything. I don't know how you feel, Chad. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I have a, uh, I have a Facebook page, uh, personal Facebook page and mm. personal Twitter, but uh, in my Twitter, I've had uh, it for uh, probably about two years now, and sent probably a grand total of about twenty-five tweets. Yeah, I may I mainly use it to uh, kill time, like on the ride to work or uh, 
read the sports news, stuff like that. So, so these guys, TWF, uh, uh, that we've joined, they're all on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, all of these other new fandangle things. Um, so uh, much of the kind of uh, marketing, which we, we, you and I, Chad, basically have done nothing to uh, promote this show. Um, you know, the, 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 those guys will uh, will let you know about things. So subscribe to their uh, feeds or whatever it is, and um, yeah, let us know that you're listening. So uh, here we are, Clash of the Champions two, uh, Miami Mayhem. Uh, this was in um, where was it? It was in Miami. Uh, hold on a second. I don't have my. I've done something a little bit differently this week, uh, Chad, which is that usually I um, I take uh, handwritten notes with pen, but I've run out of paper, so I did it on notepad. Um, and <laughs> my laptop, as I was taking notes, decided to do one of those Windows updates. Um, oh, yeah. So I <laughs> it, <laughs> it closed it, and I lost all of my notes for the first match or so. So um, nice. I, I then went through, and from memory, just... Uh, picked up a couple of things. So, where, where were we? Can you remember what, what, what the name of the... the uh, it's the James L. Knight Center the James in Miami, which uh, I'm not familiar with that building. Uh, it, it, it didn't look very big, according to uh, what I'm finding online right now. It says there was around 2,400, 2,500 in attendance. So, kind of a... a Pretty mid-range uh, venue. Yeah, and and the, they had this thing at the time um, where if the show if, if the show was being shown on TV, that meant a lot of fans didn't go, um, which was a, which is a logic that Men- Meltzer has uh, mentioned a couple of times. So, <clears throat> um, as we start off here, we we have this kind of rock video at the start. Um, and I noticed the kind of 80s-ness of everything seemed to rack it up on this show quite a lot. Um, and Jim Ross is in the parking lot, and he's waiting for some dignitaries to al- arrive in some limos. The first dignitary is Lyle Alzado, who's apparently a pro footballer, and he's from TV's Learning the Ropes. Know anything about this guy, Chad? I do not. Um, I, I know they said he was a Super Bowl champion. Uh, but I, I'd never heard of him. I don't think he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's certainly not um, one of the kind of iconic American football players like a Dick Buckus or anything. My, uh, I probably started watching NFL in the 90s when I was a kid. Uh, but he, and uh, one, one thing that's kind of interesting about American football, I know. Lyle, it seemed like he played defense, and one thing that's really interesting about American football, I don't know if it's the same way with soccer, but uh, typically the quarterback or some of the main positions are a lot more prominent and a lot more household names than, you know, like a, a good linebacker or kind of a defensive type player. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely the same. You, you, your strikers will typically be, um, you know, the attacking player. The guys who score the goals or who make the goals are typically more famous than the, the defenders or, or the goalkeepers. Although, you, I mean, you can get star defenders and things who are famous. Right. Um, but, you know, your typical defender won't be a household name. You have to be into football to know who he is, you know. 
Right, sure. <laughs> so he may he may have been kind of that type of player uh, that sort of. I mean, he was he was definitely uh, a, a good good player, just not somebody that was able to kind of break through like a, a Lawrence Taylor. You know, he's somebody that played defense that really became like a household name and a legendary player. Well, Lila Alzado has to be famous enough to be in this new TV series, Learning the Ropes, that we'll talk about a bit later. I mean, he must have had enough celebrity for them to consider putting him in this show. <laughs> um... So we have some other dignitaries here, one of which is Francis Crockett, the other one is Gary Jester, the Baltimore promoter, and the other one is Elliot Murnick, uh, who I've not heard of. Um, <laughs> pretty weak celebrities from uh, from Crockett there. Just, you know, a couple of promoters and the boss's uh, sister. <laughs> um, yeah, they kind of tried to present it like... Uh it was there were a lot more uh, important dignitaries than they were having the backstage pull up where they pull in and they're uh, Lincoln Continentals and get out and you know have somebody reporting on all the celebrities coming to watch the show but uh, this is even like a D D list <laughs> I mean I don't think anybody outside of wrestling would know who uh, Gary Jester or uh, Crockett's sister is so it's, it's really <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel. So we we go to um, the ring now, and our ring announcer is Bruce Owens, um, and I think this is again because Tom Miller doesn't travel; he only does Greensboro or Atlanta shows, I think. Um, and uh, you know, he he makes some announcements for our first match: Brad Armstrong versus Barry Windham. But then, uh, at least on uh, the version that I watch, we're taken to some some commercials straight from 1988. <laughs> now, you didn't watch these, Chad. Yeah, I did not watch the commercials, <laughs> but they, they did this. Uh, this is a reoccurring theme throughout this show where they, uh, they'll they introduce the wrestlers and then either cut to a, a commercial or a, a backstage segment. So the wrestlers are kind of just, I guess, standing in the middle of the ring uh, awkwardly while all this takes place. Yeah, and it's quite a long time. I mean, it's like, yeah, they're not short it's, commercials. It's, right, it's probably uh, four to five minutes on average that they're just hanging out. I don't know whether the uh, crowd could see what was going on backstage, but it seemed kind of weird and bizarre. Now, now you didn't watch these, uh, Chad, but I did. Um, not, not to matter, I, you didn't miss out on too much, <laughs> um, but I did want to play a little game as we go through, because there are quite a lot of these commercials. Um, I wanted to check, basically, whether the product still exists now, in 2012. The, um, <laughs> the, the whole show is brought to us, actually, by Hanes Underpants for Tough Guys. <laughs> and uh, the first uh, commercial here is such a... Um, is for Hanes Underpants. And uh, brought to us by Tough Guy Mike... Ditka. Do you know him at all? Yeah. Now that that would be uh, that's actually kind of going into uh, what I was saying earlier, where Mike Ditka was able to kind of um, he was a, a, a famous player on the defensive side, and then he he later became a coach 
Uh, he'd probably still be coaching the Chicago Bears at this time. I know he led the Bears to a Super Bowl a couple years before them, and he, he sort of – he definitely was known as kind of a rough, uh, kind of intense, mean player and coach in his teams. Uh, the Bears in that year, when they won the Super Bowl uh, – that was the year they did the Super Bowl shuffle and all that, and they uh, they really had a bunch of swagger to them and was a kind of rough group. Now, do you think that Haynes' under, underpants are still being made? What's your what's your prediction there? I I, I do uh, yes, certainly. Correct. They they they're still being made there. <laughs> um, yeah, they're still a pretty popular brand over here. Um, then we have Sports Cream. Uh, and I noticed there was quite a kind of jock theme to a lot of these commercials. Um, uh, then we had N, uh, NP27 Athletes Foot Powder. Uh, do you think those guys are still in business? Mm, I've never heard of either of those, so I will say no. Um, well, it's coming up with old commercials here. I can't. Uh, inconclusive. Um, Peter Pan Peanut Butter. Yeah, I know Peter Pan's still around. It's still going? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still a pretty popular brand also. And then finally, there was um, an advert for milk, which is a very strange advert. You had like a woman um, in a kind of uh, bikini standing there, and there was a little kid um, standing next to her. He was about 12 or something, um, saying, you know, how are you going to be interested in me type thing? And then he was like, well, if I drink milk, milk I'm going to be strong and tough. And then it's like a clip, and he's a little bit older and stronger. And then it clips again, and he's like fully grown, and he's, you know, uh, you know, got big muscles and things. And um, she looks at him. That was the advert. It was a really strange uh, advert for milk. Um, and uh, I'm assuming milk is still sold in the U.S. Milk, milk is. <laughs> I, I am watching that commercial now. Uh, that is pretty bizarre how he consistently keeps growing as she's standing there. Yeah, but it's, it's weird. Uh, I also had a couple more commercials. Did you not get the uh, Pizza Hut? Yes. Uh, yeah, I did get the Pizza Hut. Um, that one was right before Milk and then uh, Pepto-Bismol, which also is... <laughs> So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that besides the cream and the uh, the <laughs> other athlete's foot thing, which kind of looked like a niche type product anyway, so far we're pretty much uh, got brands that still persist today. It's pretty good in them. Yeah, not bad. So uh, the next match here uh, is Brad Armstrong versus uh, Barry Windham. Uh, I noticed. Uh, obviously, Brad Armstrong, rest in peace. He he uh, he died recently. Um, Armstrong uh, was booed. I noticed as uh, he came out. Was that just me? He didn't seem to get a very good reaction from the crowd. Yeah, I, th- I think some of that may be uh, how established Wyndham was in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but- I, I mean, I think this this type of crowd would maybe kind of even see Wyndham as kind of a type of hometown type person. But, but they booed oh, him, but, right? But, the, but there did seem to be a lot of Hill fans, too, yeah. uh, as we get along. The, all the horsemen seem to get. Uh, really, this was the first show that we've seen where kind of the horsemen kind of felt like they were teetering 
uh, sort of on the cool hill mm. side, maybe a little bit, um, where uh, they there was a lot of kind of masculine guys that they show in the crowd, given the four horsemen sign and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I did notice that Wyndham was also booed, though. I mean, it, it's not like he got a baby face pop or anything. He was yeah, booed I as mean, well. I mean, I would say it's not even like a... Uh, I, I would say it wasn't even a mixed reaction like uh, John Cena gets today. It wasn't even that severe, but mm. uh, compared to the mostly the Greensboro crowd, which plays everything pretty much by the book, and the Atlanta crowd does too, uh, this was kind of a little bit of a different uh, type of reaction. Now, my notes for this match are pretty sketchy because I, I had to fill in from memory after my uh, laptop uh, decided to reset itself. It's really irritating um, when Windows does that, you know, Windows updates, as if anybody cares. Um, and all I can remember from the early part of this match, uh, apart from uh, some rest holes and things, was a girl in the crowd with a traitor, traitor, traitor sign, uh, and another girl in the crowd eating popcorn. <laughs> um, and so when my notes come back, Teddy Long is drawing Wyndham, um, and there's quite a lot of mention made from Bob Coddle that um, uh, Wyndham's added the claw to his repertoire. Um, and he's also wearing a black glove all the way through this match. Um, we get a belly to back from Wyndham, uh, a nice power slam from him, uh, figure four. Uh, Coddle mentions that Wyndham's got a lot of moves in his arsenal now that he's a horseman. He seems to have come on in the past year or so. Um, and he mentions that Dusty never lost the US title. Uh, Wyndham lost. Wyndham won this. Wyndham's the U.S. champ, by the way, and he won that title in a tournament in Houston, uh, which I find out from reading the uh, Wrestling Observer from a couple of weeks ago. Um, Wyndham's on top for the first few minutes. Uh, action goes to the outside where Wyndham plants Armstrong on the railings, uh, back in for a big body slam. Uh, he misses an elbow drop from the top rope, which triggers Armstrong's comeback. We get a high drop kick gut punch, a knee lift, a body slam, flying body press from the top. Uh, Wyndham gets a claw on uh, Armstrong's cranium, uh, which actually gets a three count. Now, I don't really like the claw as a finisher for Wyndham. What did you think, Chad? Um, I, I think I'm kind of more of a fan of it than you are. <laughs> I think the claw... Um, I mean, I, I I did think that the Von Eriks were able to use the claw uh, pretty effectively as a finishing move. Uh, it's kind of, I mean, obviously it's kind of goofy, but I can kind of get behind sort of the wrestling logic that you're squeezing somebody's head, mm. uh, which if 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 it was applied as a shoot would be painful. And I did like the finish here where. Uh, Armstrong had a nice crossbody, but Wyndham was able to roll through and immediately go to the claw, which would kind of made his uh, claw move seem like a great equalizer uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, this, I thought this was a pretty good match. It took a while to get going for yeah. me, though. The, the first few minutes were very rudimentary. Uh, headlocks and a leg scissors with not a whole lot going on and Wyndham would go and regroup with Dylan and then come back in uh, but once I think Wyndham went on offense the figure four I thought was some of the best heel work 
Wyndham had done with kind of cheating and collaboration with J.J. Dillon. Uh, so I, I enjoyed that, and he really did bust out a lot of offensive moves kind of in that three-minute sequence where he did a lot of power moves, went to the top. Uh, just a lot of offense was displayed. Yeah, we've seen this a few times from Wyndham now, where he, he takes a while to get going in his matches. Um, but, I mean, I think you're right. Unlike the Steve Williams match, which never really got going, uh, at least he unloaded some offense towards the end of this one. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just passable for me, this match. Okay, so we go from that match into another set of commercials. And I know it's a huge amount of commercials on the show. Um, <laughs> so, d- get ready for this. We have Sun Country Strawberry Cooler, uh, in which a man in a cowboy hat pours the drink over himself. <laughs> uh, uh, do you think this drink still exists? I've, I've never seen this drink, but uh, I, I wish it would exist if I could see more commercials. <laughs> this is a bad commercial. I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's, oh. there's kind of a there's kind of like a woman, uh, like a kind of sexy woman, and a man in a cowboy hat with a six pack, and he keeps yeah. on pouring it over himself. It's really look, it looks like a country uh, music video for a song, and they just like put in a image of the drink, kind of to tie it in. But uh, there's a lot of like cut scenes, and <laughs> it's got sort of a weird, weird tint to it. Uh, uh, it's a, a it, bad commercial. It's coming up on a lot of like nostalgia sites and stuff, which suggests to me that it doesn't exist anymore. This product. Yeah, nah, I've never seen it in the store. I mean, there's a million drinks, but uh, I've certainly never heard of Sun Country. Next up, we have Yugo Cars, the toughest, most dependable cars that money can buy. Now, I've never heard of Yugo Cars. Is yeah, uh, we're 0 for 2 on this. <laughs> uh, on this. I mean, it looks like they're taking... I, I know in this commercial, they show it kind of taking it off-road and yeah. stuff like that. I don't I don't know if they thought yeah, maybe I, uh, instead of buying like a... I mean, in the South, uh, a lot of my friends have four-wheelers that you can take kind of off-road into the woods if they hunt. Um, I don't know if maybe they tried to market this. Kind of looks like they may have tried to market this where you could get a car and a kind of recreational four-wheeler type vehicle in one package. But uh, yeah, they, they, they were they were kind of trying to sell it on the fact that in like um, rally racing and things that it does well. Now I found uh, that this is actually a Serbian car that is licensed under Fiat apparently, and uh, it run. It, they actually stopped making it in 2008, which is really surprising to me. I've never heard right. of it. Never heard of Yugo. Okay. Uh, the next up is a Coast Soap, which makes you feel alive. I think Coast is still around. <laughs> Let's have a look. <laughs> uh, this, I don't know. This, this game ain't But that's old. <laughs> one of those things, again, I don't know how it is. In the uh, yeah, it looks like it's still going, yeah, but I, I, do, I don't know how it is in um, Britain, but, but over here, like the actual bar of soap has been pretty much completely phased out. Like my wife, the amount of kind of soap lotion and 
well, crap well, she buys. Well, the, the way it is for me is that, I mean, we don't use bars of soap. We have, the, like, the liquid soap. But I use yeah, that, that. I, I use that to wash my face. But she has, like, um, those cotton buds, and she puts some, some sort of, I don't know, some lotion or something. She doesn't use soap at all. Uh, but I don't think women do. I think they use, uh, like you said, lotions and cotton buds yeah. and things. We, I mean, I know when I get in the shower, I'm I'm usually confused on what actually... I mean, there's like 10 bottles of just product. Uh, looks like a grocery store in front of me, and I have no idea what to do with all, all of that. Well, well Coast Soap uh, seems to have celebrated its 35th birthday recently, so they're still going strong. Um... No fumes, easy off oven cleaner. I've never heard of that one. Velveta shreds in original Mexican. <laughs> uh, Colgate tartar control definitely still going. Uh, I also had Magua's car cleaner wax, and um, Grandpa from the Munsters advertising Super Scary Saturday on the Superstation TBS. <laughs> so. Um, Back to back to the show now, and Lyle Alzado, um, who's done this show, Learning the Ropes, um, in which various NWA stars took part, um, and he says immediately that wrestlers are in better shape and fitter than football stars in general. Um, now, Learning the Ropes, I've never seen this show or even heard of this show. Um, I, I'm surprised uh, it's not more famous in WrestleCrap or whatever. Um, but there's a the, the, it, the premise of the show is that a normal high school teacher um, moonlights as a pro wrestler called the Mass Maniac because he doesn't make enough money as a teacher. And they showed basically the opening credits of the uh, of the show, and it looks so bad. Um, I was thinking to myself, maybe we have to watch this at some point if we could find an episode of it. Um, the theme the theme music is absolutely appalling. Um, did the show actually exist, I was wondering? Is this just a skit or something? I, d- I mean, I, I would assume that the show existed, but I kind of, <laughs> I guess I need to do some more research because I'm interested in what, like, channel it showed on, how yeah. many episodes we had. We're told uh, here we go. A Canadian-produced sitcom that aired on CTV in Canada and in syndication in the United States. God. Uh, and it says they actually made 26 episodes, which absolutely blows my mind. Wow. And Flair and the Road Warriors and whatnot, they were part of this show. They had kind of had matches with Lyle Alzado. It was kind of suggested that he'd work with them in some way, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess basically kind of, I mean, at this point in time in American television, there was a lot of these kind of uh, corny family sitcoms. I mean, you're kind of full house type, uh, and that that one's uh, kind of the cream of the crop and that it's it's definitely corny and cheesy, but actually watchable. Uh, this certainly looked on the other side of the spectrum where it would be, uh, the only benefit would be how outrageously bad it is. Yeah, I mean... So it, you could sort of make fun of it. <laughs> it does look appalling. Really bad. Um, yeah, it, I've never heard of any of the other actors um, <laughs> to be in anything else, so that's usually not a very good sign. 
Uh, well, it's a Lyle Alzado star vehicle, you know. <laughs> so, um, we get a big announcement now. Uh, oh, yeah, I should mention that he, we're told that Alzado won some award from the NFL for outstanding service. So, you know, um, he, he must have been a reasonably big star back in the day. Um, we get a big announcement uh, now that the Rock and Roll Express are back in the NWA. Um, and uh, we get a little kind of ringside promo. Gibson says a few things that I couldn't really... He didn't say much of note. Uh, and Morton says that they're back where they belong and that rock and roll is here to stay. Um, they got a reasonably big bop, but they weren't super over, I thought. Yeah, I, I liked uh, Morton's full promo, though. He seemed really fired up, so that yeah. was good. No, it's funny, isn't it, that Morton also carries on the promos. Like, he's also obviously the better mic guy than Gibson as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, poor... I mean, I've I've always I think been more forgiving of Robert Gibson uh, because I do think he's a good wrestler, but uh, you really can see just watching these shows uh, in and out how he was certainly a second fiddle in yeah. almost every aspect to uh, Ricky Morton in this team. Yeah, I mean, if he'd. Uh if something had happened to him, if he got injured or something, they could have recreated the Rock and Roll Express with Morton plus another guy, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's kind of a good way to put it, where, I mean, it seems like the legacy of the Rock and Roll Express lived and died with Ricky Morton, where if in the beginning they could have put, you know, somebody like a Bobby Fulton or any other worker, even like a babyface Bobby Eaton, and it seemed like it would have, Nothing would have suffered. Uh, yeah. Even maybe a lower level wrestler from obviously Eaton's a better worker than Gibson, uh, but he didn't seem like a uh, an integral peg to the success of the Rock yeah. and Roll Express, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen him slouch now in the ring. We've seen him slouch on a promo. We also saw him slouch when they did their Rock and Roll performance before, where he didn't, he literally just didn't do anything. Um, anyway, uh, we. We're told that a historic signing took place uh, earlier today on the Black Hawk, which is a famous yacht. Um, and on, on the 10th of July, July 10th, at the Baltimore Arena, Flair will defend his title against Lex Luger. Um, and we're told they're going to sign this contract uh, on the Black Hawk. Um, and many dignitaries are going to be in attendance, including NWA attorney Dennis Guthrie, their, their main lawyer. Um, Sandy Scott will be there, so you know it's going to be a major deal. <laughs> um, <coughs> Elliot Murnick uh, will be there, uh, and Gary Jester is also there. Um, and now we're taken to this historic moment. Jim Crockett Jr., uh, with his total... I mean, he usually lacks charisma, but uh, every time I see him, I'm struck by just how little charisma he has. Like, no enthusiasm at all. Um, right. he, he mentions that this is the most important match signing of his entire life, the biggest match he's ever signed. Um, Flair is there, and so is Luger. Flair's wearing a red jumper with white trousers. <laughs> yeah, I love Flair's suit. <laughs> um, Luger thanks Crockett for the opportunity, and he's doing that kind of subdued babyface, 83-star babyface uh, deal here. Um and Flair ominously reminds Luger that the bash starts on June the 26th, 
and that he's got to make it to Baltimore first. I also noticed that Tony Schiavone seems to have his moustache back. He did lose his moustache for a while, right? Yeah, I I tell you what, like I I'm getting so confused with the many looks of Tony Schiavone <laughs> because uh, you know watching him in 1990, uh, which you'll get to, and his like ridiculous <laughs> 90s little haircut that he <laughs> busts out when he goes back to WCW from the WWF. I mean it. I, I guess I never realized how many truly awful, uh, stereotypical, time-to-type looks that Tony Schiavone had. I mean, it you know, it almost seems like if he was still an announcer at this time, he'd come out in like a faux hawk or whatever <laughs> the like newest terrible haircut is, uh, or like a hipster haircut. The, the, the worst it's look for Tony uh, was when he turned up in TNA. Did you remember that? Yeah, that yeah, that was just yeah. He kind of he's had tons of. Uh, I mean, where uh, obviously like what Flair's wearing here is completely ridiculous with the red <laughs> suit and uh, white pants and black socks. But I mean, you know, you can kind of smirk at that, and I did when he came waltzing in. But it it still look you know it definitely looks fashionable for the time where. Tony's style and haircuts and facial hair just looks sad, like he's trying to fit in with the group and failing uh, tremendously at doing so. So, we get yet another commercial now, um, and I'm just going to rip through these, okay? To say stop if there's anything of interest here. Um, okay. uh, in fact, I like there's some celebrities. I'll, I'll ask you if, you've, uh, if, you, if you know of them. First of all, we get all right. William's le- electric shave. Um, Aqua Velva with Dick Butkus. Yes. Uh, who is he? He's a, uh, I, again, well, I, I guess I should have watched these commercials because <laughs> my whole spiel in the beginning about defensive players, he's probably one of the most famous defensive NFL players of all time. A and W. Just a mean, mean football player. <laughs> um, we get A and W Cream Soda with William Sanderson. From First Magnitude. Never heard of William Sanderson. I do enjoy cream soda, though. Yeah, I, I like that 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 A and W those products. If you want to buy them here, they're always quite expensive, like four pounds for a can or something like that. Um, on yeah, import. they're pretty rare uh, here. Also, where maybe your run of the mill grocery store might not carry them. The uh, but then we get an advert for a film that I've never heard of with Sean Connery called The Presidi- Presidio. Uh, Starkist Tuna, Meaty Bone Dog Biscuits, um, Cause Light Beer, which is a very, very 80s advert. Um, and a John Wayne film that they're showing later on uh, TBS called They Were Expendable. So, um, we're back out in the parking lot with Jim Ross and he's waiting for Ric Flair to arrive. Um... The match with Flair is the biggest match that Crockett has ever signed, uh, Jim Ross says again. Uh, Flair does arrive. J.J. Dillon is there. <laughs> I noticed that Flair says, how are you doing, Jimbo? <laughs> as, yeah. as he came out of the limo, which uh, tickled me. Uh, Arn and Tully are there also, and they're all in tuxes. Uh, Flair says, it's one thing to be world champion. It's another to be a horseman. Diamonds are forever, and so are the horsemen. Uh, and he reminds Luger again that he has to make it to Baltimore. So, I mean, I was going to mention this uh, later, but I'll, I'll mention it now. The structure of this whole 
Clash kind of reminds me of watching War, something like that. Um, you know, like how the whole we kept on going back to the parking lot and the limos. I was reminded of watching like Raw in '97, '98, when oftentimes you'd have the whole show revolve around who who was arriving in limos and things. Yeah, you, yeah, you definitely had that here, and also uh, whereas the first Clash really seemed like a big event on its own uh, with very important matches taking place in the Clash. This definitely seemed like more of a, a vehicle and a hype job for the uh, Great American Bash pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, specifically that Flair-Luger match. I was shocked at how, uh, you know, kind of the hype that was being thrown around it. Where, yeah, they were calling it like the biggest match in Crockett history. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, had Luger really reached that level of stardom to, to be... I, I mean, I... I yeah, I was. That's why I was sort of surprised. Where just on the surface, uh, you know, having not seen any hype going into that match, I kind of expected it to be kind of on the same level as Sting versus Flair from Clash One, an up and comer, you know, energetic babyface going after Flair. But they really kind of made it seem like these two. Titans colliding, and I, I thought it was effective. I mean, they really, I think, sort of elevated Flair. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, they elevated Luger in the way Flair was presenting the match. Yeah. Uh, but as we'll get to that show, obviously the uh, finish of the Great American Bash certainly didn't help Luger, but the hype going into it did. So it was nice to see. So the next match is the Fantastics versus the Sheepherders, um, which they announced, but we don't get it for another 10 minutes or something, because Luger turns up in his limo now, um, and Jim Ross is waiting for him. But just as he arrives, the horsemen jump him. Flair, Arn, Tully, all in tuxes, beat him up in the parking lot. Flair bashes his head against the boot of the car, and he shouts, You're nothing, you're nothing, Luger. Uh, Barry Windham is there as well, and Dylan is there. What do you think of this uh, heel beat down? I kind of liked it. Um, it it's kind of iconic with the tuxes. Everybody in the tuxes, except for Barry Windham, who still had like a headband and his wrestling trunks on. Uh, but you know, seems like a pretty good way to uh, to build up the match, make. Luger wounded going into the match. It didn't seem like Luger had many friends because he took a pretty good pummeling for a while and nobody came to help him. But uh, as far as, I mean, I thought, I thought it was definitely memorable with everybody in their tuxes and slamming his head against the limo and all that. No, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, they look quite cool beating down, uh, you know, all in their tuxes there. They, they kind of... Um, this is going to sound odd, but it kind of reminded me of the Dangerous Alliance. It, obviously, these guys came first, but I'm much more familiar with the uh, with that you know the period of the Dangerous Alliance. And uh, that, as you were saying, that, that this is like it's almost like they're cool, you know, they're cool heels. These guys. Yeah, I mean, at least they're presenting. Um, I mean, to me, sometimes in wrestling, it's so easy to. Uh, I, I mean, one of the things that I mainly ask is for you to stay true to your character and them 
you know, the horsemen, the way they presented themselves, having the tuxes and all, you know, they, they weren't waltzing out of this limo in their Zubaz pants and their tank tops. So they at least put enough effort in getting over this angle to have themselves dress nicely, uh, a lot of camaraderie within the group and, uh, kind of presenting themselves as a unit. So, so we go from this into some yet more commercials. Uh, we get Hugo again. <laughs> no, here we go, okay. I, and I'm surprised that, uh, old, um, I was surprised that they let this happen because we get, uh, a rival brand of underwear. BVD underwear being advertised now. Are they still going, the BVD I've underwear? I've never heard of them. So. Now, they had a lot of celebrity endorsement here, and I'm just going to rip through them. Just say yes or no, okay? Doc Severinsen. No. Mario Andretti. Yes. Now, who's he? He's a, uh, a Formula One Indy race car driver. Wilt Chamberlain. Yes, a uh, very famous basketball player. Yeah, I, I kind of guessed that. He he looked like a basketball player. Uh, Lorenzo Lamas. Never heard of him. Uh, he he said that he's a TV heartthrob. Uh, and okay. Milton Berle. Yes. Uh, he was kind of like a uh, comedian. I, I, I don't really... He's kind of one of them people that... And he was obviously before my time, kind of like a, a, well, not necessarily like a Frank Sinatra, but kind of one of those people that I don't really know whether he did mostly comedy or appeared on shows. He was sort of kind of all over the place, just a, a celebrity to be a celebrity. I don't know if you know Regis Philbin. No, no, no. Uh, but he kind of... Kind of sort of reminds me of him with more of a kind of a comedian slant, but just sort of a a celebrity, not necessarily somebody you could put a label on of he's an actor or he's a... I wonder if he's from that old kind of like vaudeville, um, what, what would you guys call it, like variety act. Before, yeah, 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 that kind but of we have, type deal. In Absolutely. this country we have uh, Bruce Forsyth, who's about... 80. I've never heard of him. He's about 80 something, but he's still on TV. But he's kind of, you know, he can do a little bit of everything. Um, right. And it's from that kind of older tradition. He was on an uh, episode of The Muppet Show once, Bruce Forsyth, which uh, always surprised me. He's also in the film. Uh, do you ever see Bed Knobs and Broomsticks? No. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, Milton Bill says that he's old enough to have done everything in his underwear. Um. So we get uh, identity uh, phase away skin lightener, Nestle drinks. Um, now I've I've had those when I've been in the states. Uh, but what happens in this advert is that the guy drinks the Nestle as he's falling back into a swimming pool, which seems like a really stupid thing to do. Uh, and now this shocked me quite a lot. Today sponge birth control. <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, watching that and I. I was kind of taken aback. Yeah. Because even, uh, I mean, even now, I, I can't, yeah, that's kind of surprising, and I, I'm sort of surprised that uh, today's sponge would pick a wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who are they, who, who is their target audience there? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who they, how many women they thought were watching this, but, uh. 
and that's followed yeah, up with Miss Clary all hair colouring. Um, and then we're told that the Braves versus Giants game is happening later tonight. And this, and uh, I'm a big Braves fan, um, obviously living in Georgia. But this was when the Braves were just absolutely brutal uh, at this point <laughs> in time. So they were they were absolutely terrible. So they probably lost that game, right? Oh, I, I would. I would be uh, more times than not they lost the games in the 80s. So we, we come back to the show. Uh, Tony and Bob Coddle are not happy about the beat zone that we've just seen. Um, and there is actually a match going on here as well. Uh, the Fantastics versus the Sheep Herders. Fantastics the US champs. Uh, Tommy Rogers is our face in peril. Uh, he comes back with a crossbody and tags Fulton in. Butch gives uh, Fulton a gut punch and an elbow. Tags Luke in for a headbutt. Fulton gets a drop kick in and goes uh, outside where Rip Morgan gets a cheap shot in. Rip Morgan being the guy outside with the flag, with a New Zealand flag. Um, Fulton comes back uh, and gets a double noggin knocker on Morgan and Luke. Rogers uh, comes in and regains advantage over Luke, who comes back with another headbutt. Uh, Butches in for a two count. We get a backdrop spot where Rogers lands on his feet. Multiple slams now on both uh, sheep herders from him. Uh, I noticed the same girl from earlier uh, has a hunk, hunk, hunk sign. Uh, the girl who was calling Wyndham a traitor. Um, after a hope spot, uh, the herders get back on top. Luke gets Rogers in an abdominal stretch. Uh, the commentators have spent the entire match talking uh, about Flair, Luger, um, and that whole situation. Um, and that surprised me because what 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 can you really say about the beatdown other than I hope Luger's all right? I mean, they, they spent a hell of a lot of time talking about it. Um, yeah, there's certainly not much you could analyze from it uh, besides that. Um, there's a hot tag uh, to Fulton uh, who unloads on Butch, uh, but he's caught in the corner and the sheep herders regain advantage. As we move into the finish, we get a spot where. Both the sheep herders are down, and the fantastic take it in turns to cover both of them at once. So, if you can imagine, Rogers is lying across both Luke and Butch for a two count. Um, they kick out, then Fulton has a go and gets a two, and we get about four or five uh, near falls like that. Bob Coddle says that he's never seen that spot before, uh, and that makes two of us. I've never seen that spot before either. Um, we get an arm hold from Rogers now on Luke, um, but as he runs to the ropes, uh, Butch pulls it down. They smash Rogers into the railing, uh, and then use the US uh, tag belts to nail his back. Rogers is really hurt now. Uh, they use a chair, and not a wrestling chair, an actual chair with four legs. Um, Fulton isn't happy. We get a big backdrop from Luke. Rogers is almost out. Uh, Butch accidentally hits Luke with a double axe handle from the top. Uh, no transition yet. Rogers fights back with a, a clothesline, but it's just a hope spot. We get a nasty knee from Butch, uh, which I thought was particularly effective looking. Uh, a body slam from him. Two count. Uh, Luke comes in with a chin lock, but then he tries to Irish whip him into a chair, which gets reversed. And Fulton comes in and gets a quick uh, three count with a roll up. Now, I thought this match was a bit choppy and unfocused, um, made more difficult to focus on by the fact the commentators basically ignored it. What did you think? Yeah, there, it, it kind of... It, this match seemed like it went uh, a long time. Yeah, really long. I, I mean, it was it was only 16 minutes, 
which, you know, that, that's a long tag match, but not a kind of extraordinary long. I mean, I, I watched a Midnight Express, uh, Rock and Roll Express tag a couple weeks ago that went about 22 minutes and felt about half the time of this. This had a lot of uh, kind of ebbs and flows where I think, I think, the Fantastics, they both had a pretty long uh, face and peril mm. section. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm kind of, kind of a conflicting match because I did like a lot of sequences with it, but I think Choppy's a very good description of it yeah. uh, because there was kind of some good moves and uh, execution, but it didn't have to seem to have the transitions or the overall story arc or even some editing to uh, make it into an effective match. It was kind of uh, nice to see the sheep herders. I mean, this for them is pretty much a traditional tag match they get, even though it did have uh, some brawling on the outside and some chairs yeah. being used. But for them, this was pretty tame. Uh, so it was nice to see them kind of use double team tag moves, uh, some traditional tag moves together. A little surprised by Meltzer here. He, according to him, the match went 19 minutes and 29 seconds. He says this is the best match on the show and gives it three and three quarter stars. Which is a little surprising. Uh, it's quite high, I think, for this match. I would say the star rating's quite high, but uh, I, I don't know. When we get to our end of show awards, <laughs> it might be popping up. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I I didn't enjoy it that much. I how can I put it? I'm a guy who likes um, high spots, and by high spots, I don't mean people doing backflips off the top rope. I'm talking about suplexes, you know, wrestling moves. Um, and the Sheepherders for me are one of those teams who don't really have any uh, anything other than punches and kicks in their in their offense. Um, the best move we got from them was the knee, was that neat little knee lift from uh, Butch. Do you know the one I was on about? Yeah, they. Yeah. I mean, they certainly don't have a lot of uh, varied offense, and that's uh, kind of predictably why they resulted to their sort of shitty brawling tactics uh, that they yeah. did mostly in their Bush Whacker run. Uh, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess. Like I said, it's kind of a <laughs> conflicting match for me too, but I thought it was good. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's just one of my person. Like I, I'm also down on like demolition because again, they don't do anything but chop. Like I need guys at least to do like a suplex or something for me to for me to quite like them. Um, and I'm not saying that you can't get great brawlers, um, but I'm not convinced that. I don't know. I, I haven't seen enough. Uh, Enough from the sheep herders in this uh, run, I guess, to for me to think that they're anything. You know, I haven't seen. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, maybe we'll unearth another hidden gem coming up. But <laughs> I'm honestly watching this, I thought this was the best sheep herders match I'd ever seen. So, I'm, I know they have a good. Uh, some people hype their Portland stuff, which I haven't seen. Uh, from the early days, but uh, as far as just their NWA stuff that I had seen and the Bushwhacker stuff that, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of, yeah, uh, this, to me, was probably their favorite match. So, uh, 
we go from this uh, to um, what happens now. We get yet more commercials. Uh, the Reachable System from Metro Media, Heinz Tomato Ketchup, uh, The Great Outdoors, a film with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, Clorox 2 Bleach, uh, and yet another um, mention that they were expendable is on later on TBS. And we're taken now to our third match, the, the Varsity Club versus the Garvins, Ronnie and Jimmy Garvin. Um, uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams joins Tony Schiavone on commentary at this point, um, and he gives his take on the Luger beatdown. I yeah. thought this was a terrible little interview from Williams. Yeah, and, he, and he's wearing a white tux, <laughs> uh, along with white gloves. <laughs> it looks like he's heading to the senior prom as soon as he leaves here. I, I, I mean, Dr. Death, really, you can... We, hashed out and talked about some of the failures with the UWF stars coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, Dr. Death has been the most damaged because on these big shows, we have seen him have some truly terrible matches, and this is about the second bumbling promo he's had where he, he doesn't look, uh, you know, with his, his moniker is Dr. Death. So you have a certain vision in your mind, and I don't know why they decided... You know, as as much as I enjoyed the horsemen wearing tuxedos, Dr. Death looked that much out of place on the other side of the spectrum, where I would imagine him to kind of come in in some maybe like ragged blue jeans and a tank top or just anything. He looked completely ridiculous in this white tux, <laughs> uh, and the promo was terrible also. And I don't care how big or tough you are. If you wear white kid gloves, that's a pretty gay look. Yeah, I mean, I mean, his his whole outfit was awful. Uh, it it kind of, you know, sometimes there's sort of a saying that I'd rather be overdressed than underdressed. But here he looked really completely out of place, uh, dressed up like that, like he was going to some big banquet or something. And it's uh, for Kevin Sullivan matches while he's out there. So the, the stipulation for this match is that Kevin Sullivan uh, has to be in a, in a cage, locked in a cage at ringside. Um, but instead of going to the match, we get an update from Jim Ross on the Luger situation, who's basically got nothing to say. Um, and then we get yet more commercials. So they have this weird structure where you come back from the break, we're told a match is going to happen, we get something from the parking lot, and we go back to commercials. Um, odd, odd structuring. But I guess uh, I guess you guys are used to more commercials there uh, in the states, so you have, you have a lot more commercials than we do, I think. Um, yeah, well, but I, I don't think it. I mean, just as far as wrestling, I don't think at this time. Uh, I mean, I can't remember from the TV shows I've watched uh, from this era where they would do this. Where I mean, they might have like an interview segment, like with Doctor Death, and then they'd go to the commercial, but. I, I just think it's very weird how they uh, how they kind of go um, and then introduce the guys, and they come out and do their introduction. And then not only do they go to the commercial, but they do some backstage stuff before they start the match. I don't know why they just wouldn't hold off on the introduction and all that uh, until they were ready to start the match. So, so anyway, we got Folgers Coffee, Poltergeist 3, Reva Sunglasses, Black Flag, Roach Ender, Kool-Aid, uh, 
post raisin bran natra sweet low calorie chocolate ice cream bars so not a lot of interest there um, the Garvins are on top to start Ron Garvin nails Rick Steiner with a stiff punch Jimmy Garvin comes in with an arm wrench we get a knee drop um, Tony and uh, Steve Williams talk about uh, the upcoming Tower of Doom match um, and uh, it's mentioned that Sullivan tried to kidnap Precious last time he saw her and we hear Sullivan say I am not an animal to be in a cage um, Sullivan seems to have some paper and there's something going on between him and Precious um, meanwhile in the ring the heels are on top doing various holds um, but Precious is definitely up to something here she has the key to the cage Steiner is still working on uh, Ronnie Garvin's arm uh, but the attention here is very much on what Sullivan is doing rather than on the match itself Garvin starts making a comeback and gets a tag to Jimmy Garvin we get a snapmare, two count on Steiner uh, it goes to a headlock. We get many shots of Sullivan and Precious going back and forth. What is going on, I wonder? Ronnie Garvin's back in and gets a couple of near, near falls. Rotunda is in. Um, Long does the Tommy Young spot where he kicks the hands from the ropes of uh, of Rotunda. And I've just written in big capital letters, no logic. I, I'd never understand that spot. Um, the heels are choking Ron Garvin now. Uh, it goes out to... The action goes to the outside where... Sullivan gets in some cheap shots from the cage. Jimmy Garvin comes in and gets some shots, um, but Steiner gets an elbow in. Precious goes over to the cage, um, and then basically it's focusing on Sullivan and Precious and the cage so much that we don't see the pin, or at least I did. I missed the pin wherever it happened, but we're told that the faces have won somehow. Sullivan gets uh, gets the key, chokes Precious out, or at least that's what I thought what he was doing. Uh, Steve Williams comes in with his white gloves and nails uh, Sullivan. Um, Jimmy Garvin is pretty pissed off. Precious uh, is there and you'd think that... He's, so Williams kind of has Precious in his arms. Jimmy Garvin's there. Precious kind of, you know, gets back to his feet. But then she pushes Jimmy Garvin away. What the hell is going on? Is this a heel turn from her? She kind of walks back down the aisle. It's a most confusing situation. So what did you make of all of this, uh, Chad? Yeah, I, I think confusing was the best word for it. Uh, I don't think the announcers, um, you know, having Dr. Death saddled uh, for commentary didn't help kind of get over exactly what was going on or or uh, or what, uh, what kind of the main portion of this was. I thought Sullivan was kind of really annoying. Uh, trying to goad Precious, I mean that was uh, it was it was very restricting. I mean he's in a little cage, so he kept like yelling and pointing that paper or whatever at her uh, for pretty much the whole match. And this again was another long match, so you had about fifteen minutes of him just sort of yelling, and you could hear it in the camera. Uh, and then uh, as soon as the cage door opens, he starts choking her, and Dr. Dev comes to her rescue, but then she stomps out, which I didn't quite understand either. Uh, I didn't understand her logic in that case, so I, this was sort of a mess, I thought. Yeah, and the match was just kind of there in the background, wasn't it? You didn't really... Yeah, the, the match definitely took a secondary stance to what was going on outside and what was going on outside between Precious and Sullivan to me was not 
uh, interesting enough to really carry the the segment as a whole. Yeah, well, it's like they only have one one bit of business. He had a piece of paper, and you can't really yeah. carry fifteen minutes with that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this was a long match. Uh, some of the I also thought that uh, Rotunda and Steiner's heel work wasn't very effective either. Uh, no. Kind of used a lot of rest holes, arm bars, stuff like that. So we go, so we go from this back into a, yet another set of commercials. We get um, kind of a tourism ad for Florida, bounce free, you go again, total cereal. Now during the advert for total cereal, they slagged off Special K, shredded wheat, and many other cereals. And I wondered if that is allowed. I didn't think you were allowed to do that in advertising. Uh, um, I, I don't know like the legal parameters, but yeah, that does happen a lot. Uh, in the U.S. where you'll hear, you know, uh, I guess the most famous thing is kind of the Pepsi challenge, mm. where Pepsi uh, kind of had people blind taste test Pepsi and Coke, uh, because Coke is such a, especially where I live, I mean, Coke, people will not order like a pop or a soda, they'll just order a Coke, uh, yeah. whether the restaurant or whatever carries Pepsi products or Coke products, you order a Coke. Uh, but the Pepsi challenge showed that, you know, in a blind taste test, people prefer Pepsi to Coke, but you can't mention other products. I think you have to have their permission mm. uh, to do that, but uh, you, you can do that. It's pretty uh, pretty common. At- At- Atlanta, of course, home of Coca-Cola. Right, right. Uh, liquid Clorox 2, again, uh, bright kitchen key cleaner and a uh, cause light. So we get a clip uh, now to Ivan Koloff and the powers of pain attacking the Road Warriors. Um, and there seem to be all sorts of like powder and concrete and all sorts of things in that attack. So uh, looked quite chaotic to me. Uh, Tony and Coddle talk about the Tower of Doom, which is a 40, uh, 40 feet above the ring, three cages, one above the other. And they start at the top, and then they move down through the trap doors. Um, you win the match by escaping, and it's mentioned that Precious has the key to the door down at the bottom. So um, that situation uh, obviously is going to have some afters. And they have uh, a parchment of the original Tower of Doom. Yeah, this. <laughs> I mean, they made it look like I know, uh, like Coddle said he founded in like a monastery or something. Yeah, and what Tony said, where this comes from, I have no idea. Yeah. Ancient China or wherever. <laughs> yeah, they kind of they kind of made it like it was some uh, historical lost uh, artifact that Sullivan dug up, which was pretty hokey. I, I it obviously made in uh, Sullivan's oven or something, right? He'd put it in the oven or put like tea bags on it or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, we have the Tower of Doom to look forward to. Uh, I've heard quite a bit about that match in the past. Um, anyway, uh, the next match is Al Perez, who's with Gary Hart, versus Nikita Koloff. And Koloff has hair here, and he's totally unrecognizable. He's dropped even more weight, and he looks nothing at all like he used to. I mean, at all. It, if you, uh, you'd have to tell me that's Nikita Koloff, because uh, to recognize him. Uh, from afar at least. Um, we get quite a loud Nikita Nikita chant uh, here, so he, he's still over with some people in the crowd. Um, he's on top to start, but the action goes outside, 
where Gary Hart puts him through a table. I thought there was a huge amount of force uh, by Gary Hart there because the table just collapses. I wonder if that was planned. I don't, I don't know. I, uh, Nikita takes those real good bumps, though, sometimes yeah. on the outside where he really seems to throw his body yeah. kind of into it. And uh, this this was another one, but that that was kind of a surprising spot. Yeah, cause it made Gary Hart look like a monster. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the best Gary Hart has looked. Uh, uh, Gary Hart's always been somebody I do not like at all as a manager. I thought he detracted more than he added to a match most of the time. Uh, but this was, you know, effective. Yeah, we seem to rag on... Uh old managers quite a lot on this show <laughs> but uh well I, I mean i think for you know we're mainly we we inevitably compare stuff to the wwf but we're yeah. certainly not a wwf focused mm. uh podcast and one thing that i think the wwf did pretty good uh even in the 80s is even their lower level managers had kind of some sense of character yeah uh, where, I mean, I'm not going to argue to you that Slick is a great manager, but, uh, I mean, I kind of know where he comes from and what he could add in certain aspects. Yeah. Where even somebody like Gary Young, to me, it's more muddled. Uh, and obviously they had, like, Bobby the Brain doing a great stuff. I'm, and we don't, uh, I don't think either of us have seen uh, a, a whole ton of Memphis from the 80s. No. I know Jimmy Hart in that era, gets uh, really heavily praised for his work. I've, I've seen some of it, and I thought it was great. But, uh, I mean, you know, certainly from what we see, I think, I mean, uh, in certain respects, I think J.J. Dillon, he certainly uh, raised his stock in my eyes Yeah, watching these shows. And we really love Cornette and what mm-hmm. he's done so far. But other than that, kind of Skandorak Bar, uh, Gary Hart, uh, obviously our favorite, Paul Jones, <laughs> that mold, uh, they just didn't seem to add much to the match. Mm. They just seemed like a, a certain character, Paul Ellering also. We, we don't get a lot of promos as well, it has to be said, uh, on, on these shows. Though. Right, right. I mean, that, that could be a big, uh, big factor also, but I, I can say from... The promos and stuff I've seen from Gary Hart and Skandar Akbar, it's not like uh, my stock was raised much from that aspect either. So we get some great knee drops from Perez now. Uh, I still think he looks quite good. Coddle talks about how you really need dedication to be a wrestler and uh, how they get no time of their own, how it's a 24-7 wrestling lifestyle. Um, We get a sunset flip from the outside from Nikita, good counter by Perez, who uh, goes for a suplex. That's countered by Koloff, who gets one of his own. An elbow block by Koloff. Ten punches in the corner. Gary Hart gets on the apron. Uh, Larry Zabisco jumps the ring for a sneak attack, but misses. He eats a clothesline. But then Gary Hart puts his jacket over Koloff's head, and we get a three-on-one beatdown with the chain, which leaves him out cold, and nobody comes to make the save. That's it. Chad? Yeah, I, I thought this was pretty good. Uh, Perez really kind of seems like sort of one of them Walsh wrestlers. Yeah, he uh, does. I mean, we've seen him twice. He's looked good. Has a, I, I think, I think a good look. Um, I mean, he was 
young here. He was 28 when this match took place, so he still was kind of in the prime of his career. He's just somebody that I vaguely heard of uh, before we saw him, but never took much notice of him and just thought of him as kind of one of these 80s guys that they brought in uh, for a run. But he really seems like somebody that could have had a very effective run and uh, done a lot if he was given the opportunity from what we've seen so far. He's definitely someone that nobody talked about, I would say. Nobody yeah, I, I would I would say kind of of the stuff we've seen, he sort of seems like the best uh, kind of hidden gem candidate, or sort of a lost uh, a lost worker. Certainly, kind of in like a Billy Joe Travis type mode, where he's just somebody you've never really gave much thought to. But what we've seen so far has been really good and effective. Uh, he, he brings a lot of kind of viciousness and intensity and in his moves even like his power slams and uh you know kind of a lot of sort of choking on the ropes and stuff like that but it's it's done effectively no no i i enjoyed uh, what i saw of him here i mean it, it probably wasn't um the match was cut shortly i would have liked to have seen uh, it go longer i'd also what i'd also like to see what alvarez could do with um you know with a really good opponent in there as well, with a with you know like a another technician. Yeah, him him with like a higher level. Uh, I don't I don't know. I kind of but there's a lot of guys that I'd like to see him slotted in with. I think like a good punching brawling match with somebody like Ronnie Garvin would have been interesting around this time too. Yeah. Or even or even what he could have done with Luger. Um, yeah. As well. All right. Well, uh, last match now the main event is Dusty Rhodes and Sting versus Arn and Tully. Um, I'll mention here, I don't really like Bruce Owens as a ring announcer. Didn't really bring anything to this show. Um, but I did notice that he announced Dusty at 600... <laughs> at, sorry, he announced Dusty at 268 pounds and a half, 268 and a half pounds. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, currently what Dusty's weighing in at. And uh, a Meltzer has a little quip here. He says they announced him at two hundred and sixty-eight and a half pounds. That last half pound takes up an amazing circumference. <laughs> so uh, I, thought, I thought that was quite a funny line from him. Um, so I, I love Meltzer hating on. I mean, this, this obviously is something where I think he's justified because that's completely ridiculous. But uh, Meltzer's hate of Dusty around this time is uh, pretty uh, pretty humorous. I, I should have mentioned actually that uh, in this same newsletter earlier on, he rags on Ricky Morton quite a lot. Um, he says uh, Ricky gave a terribly obnoxious interview. I don't dislike the guy as much as it seems most readers do, but a few more interviews like that, and I'll jump right on the bandwagon. That surprised me. I always thought Ricky Morton was like a kind of smart fan darling, but obviously not. Yeah, that seems kind of uh, odd. But, okay, I guess I can take his word for it. So, uh, Anderson is staying to start. Um, Anderson misses a clothesline outside and hurts his arm on the steel post. Uh, Sting works on the arm. Ali C- Tully comes in. Uh, he takes an arm drag. Dusty comes in with some signature spots. Uh, catches Tully coming from the top. We get a bionic elbow. He grabs Tully's nose and jabs him in the face, which was quite funny. Uh, we get a figure four. Dylan comes up on the apron which buys enough time for Arn to come in, uh, who beats on Dusty. 
Dylan chokes uh, Dusty as Arn talks with Teddy Long, who's been uh, the ref all night. Dusty eats the railings outside. Uh, Tully uh, goes for a suplex, but it's not happening. Rhodes comes back with a flying lariat. Uh, we get a drop kick. Sting comes in, who gorilla presses Tully. Stinger splash. He goes for a scorpion deathlock. Arm breaks it immediately and uh, nails him outside on the railing. Uh, and it's almost like it's been booked, uh, in my mind, for Tully to be significantly weaker than Arn in this match. It's just how it seems to me. Arn comes back with a nice elbow, uh, but misses the second rope splash spot. Uh, Tully comes in for some nice double teaming. He goes for a sunset flip from the top rope, uh, rope and st Sting doesn't go down immediately. He staggers, and then we get a stiff clothesline from Arn to send him over for the two count, which I thought was a really nice spot from those two. Uh, we get a DDT on the outside from Arn with big shouts of Oh No from Tony Schiavone. Coddle says he's never seen that before. Um, and Coddle's really starting to bug me on commentary tonight. Um, Dylan rolls him back in. Uh, Sting is drowsy now, but blocks uh, an arm drag into a backslide, which was a nice little sequence. Uh, Tully comes in to cut the, off the tag. Arn and Tully are probably my favourite uh, tag team period at this point. Um, Sting gets uh, a tag and gives Arn... Uh, Dusty gives Arn some more elbows. We get a big, big elbow drop on uh, Arn from him. Tully's in to stop the count. We get a very awkward-looking ref bump from Long, and I don't see what hit him. It seems like he went down on his own. Um, Wyndham is uh, Wyndham uh, appears. He's uh, now in a suit himself, and he starts attacking uh, Dusty for an instant DQ. Flair is here too. They're all wearing suits. Um, Wyndham uh, has Dusty in the claw. And I'll admit that this version of the Horseman is very cool. What did you make of all this? Yeah, this. I mean, I, I thought the match was pretty good. Uh, but again, it did seem like more of a vehicle for uh, Great American Bash and kind of the various storylines between Dusty and Wyndham and uh, Sting versus Arn and Tully. Uh, Arn and Tully, again, I can watch them uh, do their tag team he'll work all day they're just so good at getting in doing something getting out where it makes them look uh really smart as a team the finish was pretty crappy it's sting actually grabs teddy long and kind of uh throws him to the ground losing his temper which sort of made him look a little stupid but uh but overall, this was okay, I thought, as a hype job. And then Dusty also throws Teddy outside um, before Wyndham comes in. But I did like Wyndham flying in off the top rope uh, to the back of Dusty. And uh, he looked pretty uh, pretty vicious, giving the claw to him, actually. Yeah. It's, it's a better claw than, uh, who is it, the great Kabuki? Better than his claw. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, the one thing, like both this and the Kerry uh, Von Eric claw, it's not, uh, it's not like the great Kabuki nerve hold or uh, claw hold where he's just sort of they're laying in the middle of the mat and he's got his hand uh, very delicately placed on either the shoulder or the forehead. Wyndham actually kind of uses his other arm to grab the arm he's performing the claw with at the forearm to kind of look like he's really ratcheting it in. 
and uh, he he's wincing in pain also at how much strength he's putting into this claw hole. Dusty gave a blade job uh, for it, so it, it, was, it was pretty effective, I thought. Yeah, no, no I, I enjoy this. I, I just really like Arn and Tully um, and everything they do, so it's difficult for me to... Yeah, they're a great team, and one thing, it's kind of sad, actually, in some ways, how little time they were together. Yeah. I mean, because you're really, it's just one of the things where it feels like they were together a lot longer than they really were, because you're only talking about, what, probably uh, maybe almost three years they were a team. Yeah. And uh, it kind of, you wish they would have had sort of a, a, a kind of Midnight Express length run where they could have had six, seven years together as a team uh, to see what they were. I mean, a lot of that's blamed with Tully and his demons. Uh, but, he, you know, I've, I've always liked uh, Anderson's teams that he'll have after this, uh, the Enforcers and him and Bobby Eaton uh, together in the Dangerous Alliance. But, uh, you know, I, I would gladly trade that in, I think, for more years of him and Tully. Uh, yeah. If they'd have ran up to like even ninety two together as a team, I think that'd have been very interesting. Yeah, and uh, you, you gotta remember, for a lot of eighty seven, Tully was still doing uh, single stuff, right? I mean, right. So, so, so one one of the things I thought about this show, as I mentioned earlier, that the, the structure of it was uh, it reminded me of watching Raw, um, and that kind of was a good thing and a bad thing. I thought it, it was good because the whole show told a you know, got over one major angle quite well. Um, but I did think for the first time, really, the focus wasn't on the wrestling for the whole show, really. It was on the angle. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would I would agree with that, that this uh, seemed more angle-driven, certainly, as a show than uh, about the in-ring product. Yeah, and, I mean, one of the problems, I thought, was that there, there really isn't that much to talk about. The, the attack in the, in the parking lot. It's like, well, okay, they attacked him and Luger's injured. You can't really like for the amount of time they talked about that. I was, uh, I was just a little surprised that they invested so much time uh, in analysing that particular, you know, thirty seconds of action. So, with, the, with all of those things in mind, let's, uh, let's do the end of show awards. Um. MVP for you, Chad. Uh, this one, this one's uh, kind of tough for me. Uh, I, I think I'm gonna go with Al Perez. Actually, uh, I don't, I don't think anybody here had a standout performance, and I kind of do want to give Al Perez a little bit of uh, credit because I do, I do think, like I said, I think he's kind of one of these forgotten workers for what we've seen, and he was very good in that match. And Nikita's had some uh, stinkers in the last couple of shows, and here, I mean, this was probably the best Nikita match we've seen in a good little while. Yeah, uh, and I credit a lot of that to Perez. Um, I seem to have picked on Anderson every match, every show now for like past two or three, right? But yeah. I'm gonna go for Arn Anderson again. <laughs> There you go. Um, I, I just I thought everything he did looked crisp and clean and cool in that match. He looked really strong um, in that match, and a lot of the times heels uh, work from the bottom. But I I thought Arn looked pretty dominant 
um, during his during his time in the in the main event. Uh, match of the night. Um, I, th- I think I've actually kind of taught myself into picking the main event as the match of mine of uh, the night. Uh, the first time I watched it, I, I didn't like the finish very much, and I st- I'm still not a great fan of the finish. But uh, just while we were talking about it, I had it watching uh, watching it back in the background and the execution and. Uh, the overall, I, th- I think, actually, with the commentary off, the match is better. Yeah. Because uh, that also annoyed me during this match. What, uh, Bob Coddle uh, saying he's never seen a DDT outside. Yeah, it just, just, it was kind of, I, I, I didn't think the commentary, I've been pretty, uh, pretty big fan of Tony for a while, and I, I've always liked Bob Coddle, but I, I don't think they seem very interested in this show, and it kind of showed. Uh, but the main event, you know, crappy finish aside, I think it was a good match, and uh, probably my match of the night. Yeah, my my tip for uh, the director is, you know, put one of those two guys out, out in the parking lot and put Jim Ross on commentary. Yeah, um, that would have been... Uh, I mean, I'll, I'd, I'll definitely like Ross and Shivani together. Uh, Ross and Coddle's also good. I think definitely those two, uh, one of those pairings would have been better than what we got. Yeah, no surprise that my match of the night is um, is the main event as well. I actually thought you were going to go for the sheep herders, uh, the sheep herders match. That that's what uh, that was what uh, I kind of had prepped before we started. Uh, but just in rewatching that main event, kind of as we were talking through it, uh, it uh, stuff seemed to be executed more. Uh, crisply and kind of stiffly on my second watch of it than I noticed on the first watch. Like everything, even like the little kicks and shots that were given uh, were pretty stiff. Even from somebody like Sting, which you don't associate that much with. And now we have the Billy Graham Award. Um, I, I think I'm going to go with Kevin Sullivan on that just because... I thought he was really annoying uh, in that tag match. And again, they're, you know, whether he's to blame or the book or whoever, there just was not enough storyline there to sustain us constantly going to him uh, almost every 10 seconds during the match, the 16 minutes. And he was just kind of annoying in his accent, yelling at Precious. <laughs> Yeah, he was, um, I thought you might go for Kevin Sullivan. I'm going to go for Steve Williams, just because I thought he brought nothing to the show. And he was just, he like, even the bit where he uh, came and made the save, those white gloves were a bad costume choice from him. He gave a bad promo, he gave, brought nothing to commentary. Uh, generally, just a bad performance from him all round. So, Steve Williams is my Billy Graham Award winner. Um, no in-ring competitors for, for, from either of us there, but um, it was kind of like the wrestling was just there in the show, you know? What? Yeah, I, I, I think this show overall is it's kind of... It's, it's, it's really a weird show to for me to kind of put into words because, I mean, it was... I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't think it was good. I, I mean, I didn't think it was unimportant, but I didn't think it was vitally important either. Uh, it really seemed kind of inconsequential uh, inconcu- uh, overall 
as a show. Uh, the wrestling, I, I mean, I thought the Rotunda Steiner versus Garvin match of what we saw of it wasn't very good, but I mean, we've certainly seen many worse matches and going through these shows than any match we saw tonight, but we didn't really have a, uh, a blow away good match either. So this was kind of just a filler show overall to me. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. All right, but, so, but I do think I liked it more. Like I've read some reviews uh, online, and I mean, I, I think I may have liked it more than some because I do like really for uh, formula tag wrestling. Yeah, uh, and there was a lot of that here, but uh, still, I wouldn't say the show was good or definitely not essential viewing. And th- next time up, we have uh, Great American Bash, right? Is it yeah, Great American Bash will be the next show, uh, which is a, a very interesting show that I'm ready to rewatch because uh, it has a, a, a kind of the Luger Flair match, which I, I really liked before. Uh, has a Lauren and Tully versus Sting and Nikita match, which starts off the show. I thought it was a very good opener, one of the better probably pay per view openers you'll see, uh, and then a. Really, I think kind of the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express match, besides the uh, Super Town on the Super Station, this will be the first uh, kind of straight tag match we've seen between those two teams, and uh, also the first time uh, those two teams have got together that we've seen with the uh, Lane edition of the Midnight Express. Yeah, uh, so I'm really looking forward to that show. And and also, uh, you know, we're slated to do it with a, a couple of special guests as well. I won't reveal who they are just yet, but uh, it should be a good show. So, uh, if if I don't speak to you before, uh, then have a good Christmas, Chad. All right, you too, Park. And, uh, well, I'll see you next year for the Great American Bash. All right, see you, man. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts, And the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.